This was my sermon from September 6th, 2020. My scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your pew Bibles on page 18 in the New Testament section. If another member of the church sins against you and points out the fault when the two of you are alone, if the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. When I was talking to the 815 service this morning, I, I realized that the, the sermon that I preached was a different sermon than I had in my head. You see, we find ourselves in a, a weird time for me. I, I now have to write my sermons out in some form or fashion. I, I have to create an outline because in, a, in our world, I, I can't just preach the Word of God and then put it out on the Internet uh, because there are people that have nothing better to do with their time to try to figure out if Josh has plagiarized anything that he has said. I mean, ever since we started broadcasting the worship services, the, there has been someone or some agency that has reported us for copyright infringement since the very beginning. And luckily, it's only like one or two moments. But believe it or not, the church itself is, even in, contact, in conflict or uh, in moments of disarray, every single day, whether you see it or not, and then I'm reminded about this passage of Scripture. You see, one of the things that's hard for us is that we're having this sermon in this moment of lectionary texts, but we're not in conflict. <laughs> Our congregation tries very hard to communicate with one another. And in every aspect of the things that we do, we find ways of enjoying those moments of conflict. Maybe we're a little uh, hard-headed but we enjoy those moments because it strengthens our relationship with one another as we walk along in the footsteps of Jesus. So I want you to hear this one more time. You see, these are not rules for personal relationships like, like marriage or family, but rules that ensure the stability and health in congregational life. If you were to read verses 6 through 14, you would notice that the verses address the concern for the seekers 
or the marginal adherents, those in danger of falling off and away from the Christian flock. Which is interesting because from verse 15 through 20, all of a sudden you now move into a much dangerous territory, much more dangerous territory. You see, those that are guilty of serious sin and yet resist repentance. But then he ends it with this idea where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them always. It makes us question, what does this passage say about the importance of counsel through others? How does this teaching compare with what Jesus said about offenses in the Sermon on the Mount, about not judging others? You see, there's a sentiment in the Gospel of Matthew with what has been presented about Jesus throughout this entire gospel. In the very first chapter, for example, Jesus' name, Matthew calls him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. And in the very last verse of the very last chapter of the gospel of Matthew, we hear Jesus make the promise to be with us always. It's no surprise that when we hear an echo of that promise, that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. But what Jesus says in our text today is more than a promise, that he will be with us. It's also a variation of popular Jewish thought circulating from, er from that time. Although unlike the Gospels, it wasn't put into writing until a century or so later. One rabbinic writing says this. It'll sound familiar. If two sit together and words of the law or Torah are between them, the divine presence rests between them. We read this in the Talmud. In other words... The rabbis are saying that whenever two people discuss the scriptures, God is present. Now, I don't think we ever really get this idea. You see, in church, in communities of faith, or just in communities in general, this is what he's talking about. See, it, here it says, in meetings, for example, public meetings, club meetings, even church meetings, we often make reference to like a quorum, right? And depending upon the organization, the size of the quorum varies. One of the most commonly used definitions is that in, if more than half of the members are present, like four out of seven, then we have a quorum. Even in our own constitution and bylaws, we have a, a beautiful statement that says about what quorum is, and I want to make sure I say it right. It's Whomever is present is the quorum, right? Is that close enough? Kind of an idea? So even in our idea of quorum, we, we talk about those that are present for the board meeting are the quorum. You see, for us, for Jews, however, a congregational quorum consisted of 10 men. Although more liberal Jews today might say 10 people or members of 10 households, the rabbinic saying makes the radical suggestion that God's presence is not limited to the con congregation. 
Even if there is no quorum, the divine presence can be honored whenever two people sit down and discuss the scripture. Now, the variation that Jesus offers pushes the story away from God's presence, however, and makes it clear that we cannot experience that presence on our own. In recording this scene, I believe Matthew wants us to know the important thing is that there needs to be a quorum of at least two. A reminder that we not only cannot be the church on our own, but we cannot experience the presence of Christ on our own either. Now this is not saying that you can't be in, a, in the presence of the divine. I'm a full-time believer in the rowboat church. You know, that's the church when you're out in a boat out in the middle of the lake and it's right before sunrise and you see the sunrise over the tops of the branches and you can see the majesty of God and be in the presence of the divine. It's For some, it might be the one that's in the deer stand standing at the top of this thing and praying to God that this thing doesn't fall off the side of the tree or the deer stand that you built isn't going to fall so that you can get your deer. Maybe it's those that go on a hike and walk through the wilderness and in that moment you find yourself individually in the presence of the divine. What Matthew is saying is, is that one cannot be in community with oneself. Which is complicated if you ever think about it. It's, it's a little bit different when you say start having conversations by yourself with yourself about the things that you have done to yourself and how you are going to fix it, which we all do if we're being totally honest. It reminds me of this story that I heard one time about the man who stopped attending church. Now the reasons he stopped attending were not as important as his absence, you see. And after many months had passed, in the dead of winter, the pastor called on the man. Because it was so cold outside, the man reluctantly invited the pastor into his small living room. See, no words were spoken. Both knew what this was about. And as they sat there in silence, the pastor went over to the fireplace and pulled an ember from the fire and placed it on the hearth. Now in a short amount of time, the ember began to fade and stopped producing any heat. And at that point, the pastor walked back over to the fireplace and returned the charred piece of wood to the fire. And immediately it lit up. Recognizing the simple truth of the unspoken sermon, the man interrupted the silence, thanked the pastor for the visit, and assured him that he would be in church on Sunday, and showed him to the door. Now, while our culture may believe that they can be a church unto themselves, Jesus is telling us that we need each other. It's like one of those, my favorite bumper sticker quote, it says, Christians are like grapes. They grow in clusters. You see, we need a community. We need a congregation. It doesn't take much to create it, but it does take intentionality. 
You see, it's also true that whenever there are two or three or people together, there is always the possibility of conflict or disagreement. One of the resources I use with couples, in fact, says that whenever there are two people together, there will always be conflict. As I work with these couples, I say that the secret to success is learning how to manage the conflict so that in the context of marriage, the couple is not fighting against one another, but with one another and for the marriage. You might hear me say the phrase, the, the argument isn't worth the relationship, but the relationship is worth the argument. In our world, destructive conflict has been too common in the history of the church. It reminds me of another story of a man who was stranded on a deserted island out in the Pacific. And after almost two years, a ship comes by and was able to catch, and he was able to catch their attention. And so when the rescue boat arrives from the cruise ship, they noticed he had three buildings on the island. Curious, they asked him, so what were they for? Well, he began, the first one is my house. It's where I eat and sleep. The second one is the church that I attend. They looked at him and said, well, what about the third building? Oh, that's the church I used to attend. You know as well as I do that some churches are known for their bickering. Although I see no evidence of that here, I recognize that in some aspects there are people that have been in our past who no longer attend church because of the conflicts. You see people go from one congregation to the next, and unfortunately it's in those same moments that you hear that this wasn't the only time that we've heard this response. That in order to avoid the conflict, people often choose to be a Christian on their own. You see, they let the conflict defeat them rather than allow it to, allowing the conflict to help them grow in their faith. You see, I'm convinced that conflict can, can be a source of growth if we learn how to listen to one another and find a way that we may be, may be able to have an even better answer to the problems we're trying to solve. It happens. And it happens in our world every single day. Everywhere you turn, there seems to be conflict with everything that's going on in our life. But what would it look like if we had the opportunity to do better than the past? What would it be like if we had the opportunity to recognize that these words of Jesus give us a sense of hope in the chaos, rather chaos, while we're searching for hope? See, I don't look at this passage of Scripture as saying, okay, well, if, you don't, if it doesn't work this way, that's your first strike. If it doesn't work this way, it's your second strike. If it doesn't work this way, well, too bad, so sad, see you later. It's not three strikes and you're out. 
It's three opportunities of bringing a sense of relationship back to the sense of conflict. Seeking a way of peace and compromise. Our world isn't ready for this passage of Scripture. In congregations that I've served in the past, believe it or not, they, they had some conflict. And in the midst of those moments, we, we struggled with, as a church, how do we deal with those moments of conflict in a biblical understanding? Because the Bible doesn't tell you how to fix the conflict, right? It just talks to you about how to address it. Ultimately, the goal becomes that Jesus is giving to us is to recognize that while every aspect of conflict that happens in our life, if two or more are gathered together, they are in the presence of the divine and therefore representing a community in the name of Jesus. You see, God desires community above all. God doesn't need for us to triangulate our problems. We do that just fine by ourselves. God desires a sense of community, but not a sense of just the individual. But how does the individual work with inside the community? This isn't three strikes, you're out. It's three strikes and help us find you the place that you feel the connection of God. That's the ultimate struggle, right? At the end of the day, our hearts are broken that someone did not have that sense of community in our place. It becomes our mission then to help them find that community where they do feel the presence of God. Because again, God values the relationship more than the argument. So maybe today's sermon is perfect in the sense that we don't have any conflict in our life. Maybe today's sermon about the scripture gives us something to build upon in those days that we do find ourselves in conflict. Maybe not with what's going on in our church, but maybe, just maybe, it has something to do with the conflict that we deal with outside our building. I mean, we don't have any conflict going on out there at all. I mean... At all, right? Everybody just tries to get along. Well, if you believe that, we need to go back and read Matthew chapter 18. It's in those moments that when there are two or more gathered together, the presence of the divine is there, and they're going to argue about how that works. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God does not let anybody strike out. No one loses in the game of God's journey. It becomes our mission, our mandate to recognize what that means. To be in community means that we have to have the ability to agree to disagree and do it in a way that Jesus taught us. You know, those words that Jesus gives to us all the time something to the nature of love your neighbor as yourself. The one thing I left out in the 815 sermon, I wish I had said, you see, Paul talks about this a lot in the aspect of marriage. Contrary to popular belief, Paul doesn't want you to get married. 
He thinks it's futile. As Kohelith would say in Ecclesiastes, he thinks it's a pursuit of wind. But since you're going to fall in love, he says, you must be servants of one another. You have to be a team with one another. And there are going to be days that you agree to disagree. A lot of the things that Paul talks about is in the way that the church should be. So if we are in relationship with one another, we are to be slaves to one another. To give up of ourself for the other. Which then makes sense then if Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself. Give everything you have to the other person in the ways that God does with his son. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.